Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. Polls in Germany suggest the far-right political party Alternative for Germany has support from a fifth of German voters. In some states, such as Thuringia, the AFD has the support of more than a third. This past weekend, the party met to select its candidates for the European Parliament, where it has joined a far-right bloc that will boost EU funding for the party. Here to discuss how that affects Germany's Jewish community is Felix Klein, Germany's first federal government commissioner for Jewish life in Germany and the fight against anti-Semitism. Felix, welcome back to People of the Pod. Hello, it's a great pleasure to be here again with you. So tell us a little bit about Alternative for Germany, or AFD as it's often referred to, and explain for our audience why it was founded 10 years ago. Well, AFD was founded in the light of the big financial crisis. There was at the time, about 10 years ago, it was questionable at all whether the euro as one of the most prestigious and most important European projects could continue as a currency, as a common European currency, because countries like Greece were heavily indebted and there was a big discussion whether to kick out Greece out of the euro system or and it was differently decided, or to keep it in uh, the EU, of course, and in the euro system. And the then-Chancellor Angela Merkel said there is no alternative to that, no alternative for the solution suggested by the government. And there were many people in Germany who were not happy with that saying and said, oh, yes, there is an alternative for Germany. And that was also the title of this new party, the Alternative for Germany. So it started with people who were not happy with the policy towards the European Union and the European solidarity. It didn't start so radical as it is now. So how did it become as radical as it is now? And why are we seeing a bit of a resurgence? Well, in times of crisis and uncertainty, people are unfortunately, I think that happens in many democracies, are more open to populist ideas and parties. And that happens in many countries, including Germany. And AFD was successful in getting support of those who were not happy with the decisions of a government in the corona, in the pandemic from 2020 to now. And uh, last year, with the war of Russia attacking Ukraine again, we had a time of uncertainty. Energy prices went up in Germany. People were uncertain of what to do. Many are not satisfied with the way the government deals with all these issues. And this is another explanation why AFD was able and successful to catch support, particularly in Eastern Germany. But it sounds like it also has values that go beyond fiscal responsibility or, or the economy. Yes, yeah. It's, it's, it's beyond the economy. So uh, as I told you, AFD started off with economic issues, but unfortunately it was attracted, what got very attracted by people who have very, very problematic views, up to people who, who deny or distort the Holocaust, uh, people who say uh, it was for a long time anyway, Germany was dominated by foreign powers, by the EU, and you hear what they're saying, this is anti-Semitic thoughts and narratives, and those people became more influential by the party over the time. 
And what we've seen now where this party really now chose candidates for the European elections who actually are against the European Union. Many of them want Germany to leave the EU. There you see how radical it has come there. Also, anti-Muslim, this is the maybe the most important narrative, anti-migration, anti-Muslim, anti-EU. And of course, with all of that comes also anti-Semitic narrative. So this is why I'm very, very concerned uh, about the success of this party. And I've expressed that openly in an interview that was published in Welt am Sonntag last Sunday. You just mentioned that this party appeals to those who deny or distort the Holocaust. How so? Holocaust distortion is a very common idea in this party. There is up to 20% of the Germans think that we should not talk so much anymore about the atrocities committed by the Nazis, that we have to look forward, etc. So it is not a big surprise that, of course, anything that downgrades, if I may say so, the horrors committed by Germans in the Holocaust and in the Second World War in, in general is very common. Very prominent figures of the AFD call really for a cut, which is illogical anyway. You cannot cut yourself off your own history as a country. But many of these forces call for a different remembrance culture, that it is a shame for Germany that it constructed the Holocaust Memorial in the heart of Berlin. Germany should not be so shameful with itself. And unfortunately, many people agree to this kind of ideas. So Holocaust Distortion is a big thing. Holocaust denial is not so much of a problem. But of course, anything that makes the Holocaust less cruel or less incredible as it was is welcome by this party. You know, I want to go back to the topic of the European Union, because one of the reasons why Alternative for Germany joined this far-right bloc was to boost EU funding for the party. But yet it's calling for the dissolution of the EU, or at least for Germany to withdraw, right? Can you explain that calculus? Well, it's, of course, very contradictory. On, on one hand, you call for EU funds. And anyway, Germany is, I think, one of the countries that really is taking advantage the most of the European Union. Our industry is heavily export-oriented. One out of four workers in Germany depend on international trade. And of course, it would be very much against German interest to leave the EU. On the other hand, it is a very common narrative in Germany to blame the EU for many developments and decisions taken by the government. And they do not have a problem calling these two things at the same time. So besides Holocaust distortion, is there other anti-Semitic rhetoric coming from this party that you see or, or fear threatens Jewish life in Germany? Yeah, one of them, clearly I see conspiracy theories being very popular within the AFD voters. And a very concrete danger for Jewish life is a motion the AFD had, has tried to introduce into our parliament that would have banned kosher slaughtering. And fortunately, it didn't go through, of course. But if you ban kosher meat, well, with the argument for animal protection, then, of course, uh, you violate the basic right of religion, you know, because the way you would like to eat is a part of the freedom of religion. And fortunately, the motion didn't go through. But you see that the AFD is in that very concretely threatening Jewish life in Germany. Another thing is, of course, they are on first hand very anti-Muslim anti-migration, but it is a common fact that anti-Muslim hatred is very much linked to anti-Semitism, actually. And the way they also talk about Israel as being 
a big and important factor against the Muslims shows the whole narrative. I mean, to say that Israel is there also to keep Muslims out is very dangerous because I think we all agree that Israel is not against the Muslims or it's not an anti-Arabic country as such, but this is what the AFD would like people to believe. Right. In other words, championing Israel for motives that don't belong to Israel. In other words, assigning motives to Israel that don't even exist. You know, it triggers a discussion about Israel, which is absolutely bad, not only for Israel, but also for the Jews living here, because they then have to have an opinion about Israel. And it is complicated enough anyway for the Jews who live in Germany to explain to non-Jews that they are not ambassadors or representatives of, of the Jewish state here, that they are normal German citizens. And of course, they might have an opinion about Israel, but they are by no means representatives of Israel. I think you have the same discussions in the U.S. where many people think that American Jews represent the Jewish state. So you have also warned that there are not just anti-Semitic forces, but anti-democratic forces at work in this party. What do you mean by that? I mean, is that in reference to how they denigrate the EU or are there other things in play? I refer to the conspiracy theories I already mentioned, which are as such anti-democratic because anybody who believes in a conspiracy theory has a problem with democracy and I would say 99% of the conspiracy theories have an anti-Semitic content in the end because the theory is that a small group of privileged people, in practice the Jews, take advantage and profit from an uncertain and difficult situation. Of, of the, so on, on expense of everybody, a small group gets an advantage. And this is what leading figures in the AFD also emanate. And of course, this is not only anti-Semitic, but also anti-democratic. Mm -hmm. They really are one and the same. What, if, if you're anti-democratic, then you're probably anti-Semitic and vice versa. Once again, I cannot reiterate enough that shows that anti-Semitism is anti-democratic as such. And if you turn it around, every success we have in the fight against anti-Semitism is a fight for our democracy. It is really directly linked. I think it's like a litmus test we have in our society. So what other questions should people ask to kind of measure a candidate or a party's democratic ideals? I mean, certainly listening out for conspiracy theories or anti-Semitic rhetoric. Are there other litmus tests? Yeah, of course. Well, the first of, particularly in Germany, every politician should make it clear that he or she distances himself or herself from the horrors of the Nazi past. I mean, the, our democracy is the answer of the horrors of the Third Reich. You know, and uh, if you don't make that clear or if you leave it uncertain, then uh, you have a problem. And this is what voters should actively ask candidates that do you really think that the Holocaust is singular in history or is it an atrocity like any other atrocity that was also committed by other people in history? And this has to be made very, very clear. And I hope that in the coming elections, people will ask these questions. I love what you said about how every victory against anti-Semitism is a victory for democracy. They really do go hand in hand. And I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the EU's Digital Services Act, which takes effect this month, in fact. Now, for our audience members who aren't familiar with this, this is a new law that will require internet platforms like Facebook and X, formerly Twitter, uh, to not only delete unlawful content, but also provide information about those publishing that information to the police. 
some people would say this is not democratic. Others would say, oh, yes, it is. So can you speak to that criticism? And whether you think this law will make a difference in the fight for democracy and against anti-Semitism. The main number of anti-Semitic crimes committed in Germany happens in the Internet. Holocaust distortion, particularly, but also incitement of the people. More than two-thirds of all anti-Semitic crimes are committed there. And if you look at the anti-Semitic incidents below the threshold of crime rates, it's even more. So we have to get and develop new instruments in combating anti-Semitism online. And the idea is very simple. Whatever is punishable offline should be also punished online. Uh, so any sentence you could be punished for, like for incitement of the people in the real world, should also be punishable when you do it in the Internet. It's very, very simple. And this is the very simple idea of the EU Digital Services Act. And in the past, of course, it was very difficult for police and prosecutors to trace the perpetrators and the main people now we want to involve or maybe organizations is the internet platforms because they have access to the IP addresses of those who spread anti-Semitism and hate speech, and we have to make them responsible. So I think this is a very, very good instrument in fighting anti-Semitism online. I would even say it is a game changer. We have had pilot uh, projects in Germany where prosecutors who actually then found out with their means the perpetrators who spread anti-Semitism and uh, who then uh, get counter pressure from the state. So, for instance, when the police car is in front of their homes and the neighbors are watching, these people do not spread anti-Semitism anymore. They are impressed that the state can defend itself or defend its citizens and go against hate speech. I think this will be very effective. And I'm very happy that the federal police office here in Germany has now founded offices and departments to be ready for that new law. And as you said, it is getting effective soon. And this is, I think, a very good example that democracy is not self-evident. It has to defend itself. And freedom of speech has its limits, at least in to our European concept. You cannot say anything you would like if you violate the rights of others. And this is a clear case. The White House just recently released the U.S. national strategy to counter anti-Semitism, and you and other envoys traveled here to the United States to advise the officials who were developing that strategy. In fact, the last time you were on this podcast, it was to talk about that trip. Did you talk about the limits on free speech during that trip with officials, the need to hold social media platforms accountable? Because what the EU is doing is not happening here, not yet at least. We talked about this, of course, but I'm aware of the legal situation in the U.S. where you have a different concept on the freedom of speech, that the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, they're problematic in that case to limit that. And I hope that the U.S. administration finds ways, nevertheless, to go against or to be effective against hate speech and anti-Semitism online. And I think the right way is to talk to the Internet platforms, to the providers. Many of them have their headquarters in the U.S. and earn much money in the U.S., so there should be ways in getting them to limit or to do their responsible share of maintaining the U.S. democracy, too. Felix, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. All the best. And it's always great to be together with AJC. If you missed last week's episode, be sure to tune in for my conversation with two Jewish college students. They share why they think the U.S. national strategy to counter anti-Semitism matters to all Jewish college students and how they plan to put it into action when they return to their campuses later this month. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. 
Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.